welcome to Gale Boys, the podcast you're listening to. Uh, this week, I'm uh, joined by always as my friend and co-host, Liam. Hello, everyone. Hope everyone is doing okay. Happy Pride Month. And, um, well, I'm currently recording this in my home country of Canada. And um, I don't know if anyone's seen on the news, but my country's on fire. Um, so much woodland right now. Nova Scotia, Quebec, all fucking burning. Um, and we're bringing down the evil empire of America with our evil smoke. Yeah, New York essentially just looks like uh, Las Vegas from Blade Runner. Everything's just orange now, and you need a fucking mask to reverse it. It's like, it's basically like every day in India, like, <laughs> America's starting to suffer the same sort of problems that uh, the third world countries that uh, inflicted all its fucking... Uh, manufacturing problems on in the 90s yeah well that's uh, you know that's one of the problems of uh building your country in like a like a mostly woodlands style environment whenever something goes wrong it's just like oh shit there's nothing we can really do about this which is a problem we uh, don't really have in scotland most of our woods are up north so if that ever catches fire i'll be like yeah who cares a bunch of sheep will burn to death okay then <laughs> Well, I think the problem is also climate change is becoming a much more um, bigger issue over the last couple of, uh, well, it's been an issue for a long time, but I think this is a big incident. People are like, oh yeah, we should probably uh, do something about it, but I don't know what we can do, because, um, well, we with that ship sailed a long fucking time ago. I guess all we can do is put a band-aid on a bullet wound and hope for the best. It's currently become one of those things that's like... You just can't really deny anymore. Because I remember in the early 2000s, every, like, Robert and Conservative was like, yeah, climate change isn't real. Yeah. Uh, you had that South Park episode of Man Bear Pig. The South Park guys were like, oh, look at uh, this wacky idiot Al Gore. And a couple of years later, they had to uh, backpedal on that. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Man Bear Pig's real, actually. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people forget that those guys are pretty... Pretty hardcore conservative. I mean, ever since PC principle, I'm like, oh, these guys are just fucking, these guys are just being dicks now. <laughs> it's a weird time right now uh, for, for us because this is probably going to go on all summer. So um, I look forward to, I will say this, America, all those pictures, it looks like Blade Runner. It also looks like that meme of like Mexico and all movies is just painted fucking yellow. Yeah, the, uh, the glorious piss filter. That's piss on, like, filter, yep. A big movie and TV show that's a set in Mexico. They're going to have that piss filter on it for some reason. Mm. My favourite example was still uh, Sicario. They cross the border and it goes into the uh, glorious piss filter. It's like, <laughs> you're entering another dimension. <laughs> oh, it's great. But yeah, no, America's... Um, stay safe, everyone, with that. Um, I don't know how... Uh, but we did get some rain, thankfully, recently. So hopefully that'll help, but... We're also going to lose a whole bunch of fresh water and a whole bunch of lumber, so it's just bad all around. For try my best to not be completely blackpilled this episode, but it's kind of, it's difficult right now because I have all my windows closed and, you know, the sky is completely covered in grey shit, so. If uh, Nova Scotia burns down, you could always move to proper Scotland. But enough talk about my problems, let's get into the rest of the world's problems with our headlines. We'll do it live! Fuck it! It's a pretty bad time, you know, Canada's on fire. Our beloved boy, uh, Ted K, died yesterday. R. Yes, R. unfortunately, R.I.P. to, um, yep, so for those who don't know, um, renowned author, convicted murderer, king of social distancing, Ted Kaczynski, <laughs> the Unabomber, has passed away at age 81 uh, from, from God knows what, considering how long he was in Florence prison for, he could die from literally anything because the healthcare there is so bad. But I mean, it, it, he leaves behind a very complicated legacy, I feel, because, yes, he is a murderer. He tried to kill a lot more people. But also, man, if you know, if you get past the jokes and the memes, if you actually sit down and read Industrial Society and its future, it's it's a fucking, it's a quieter page turner, man. It's, uh, he called this shit way earlier than I think most people really give him credit for. Yeah, you can't bother him all he wants, but fucking if the goddamn deep state left him alone to farm potatoes using his own shit, then three people wouldn't have got blown away. But, uh, <laughs> Ted is, uh, he's a funny meme, but he's just not that interesting a guy. No. He's like a Timothy McVeigh. He's just like, right. like the most interesting thing I'd have to say about Ted K is, um, it's very clear that he's like, if he's not gay, he's trans. 
Like, if you read some of his personal writings, it's very clear that he has, like, like very overt gender dysphoria. And just as, uh, like, obvious fag scent doesn't help. Yeah. Um, I do love the, because uh, you spring up Timothy McVeigh. I think that they, they did actually, like, share a, share, they were in the same cell block for a while while Timothy McVeigh was waiting for his execution. What the fuck was that conversation probably there, like? Yes, for uh, five minutes. Probably about how much uh, they were set up by uh, the FBI. Like, Ted K is very open and shot case. Like, yeah, it's very clear that he sent those bombs, whereas with McVeigh, it's uh, the background's a little murky there. Like, yeah. Very clearly, something else going on. Yeah, considering uh, that whole that whole training center and the the fact that it was yeah the the he possibly committed war crimes during Desert Storm as well that were covered up. Like it's there's there's layers to that. Whereas Ted is just the crazy fuck who lived in the woods and wrote a wrote some rambling manifestos. So by the way, you could buy those. He did write multiple books from prison. You can buy them. On Amazon.com. If that ain't fucking irony, I don't know what is. Fucking dude who made a whole career about yeah, how evil... I like to think uh, Ted Case or the advert for the, uh, the new I, like Apple fucking VR headset that cost like $3,000. That was the DMT rushing to his brain as he finally just gave up. Like, well, I killed three people and achieved uh, pretty much nothing. I might as well just, might as well just pack it in. I got Penthouse to publish my manifesto. I'm on a... <laughs> I'm on a Twitter now, and I'm seeing a, a bunch of cranks being like, oh, the deep state finally got to Ted. It's like this 82-year-old who is fucking like, has had cancer for the last decade. Yeah, the, the Quentin got him. Yeah, Not sure. getting any health care. This is totally another yeah. Epstein thing. Florence is a notoriously like for-profit prison. They don't give a fuck about the well-being of their inmates because a lot of people in Florence are pretty fucking bad people, but it is still like, God, at least let them go see a doctor or something. Like Jesus, twenty three hours a day, no fucking sunlight. Like it's it's a it's a bad place to be. Yeah, I like to imagine he's just uh he's just on like a see through cell next to fucking like Hannibal Lecter and shit. Yeah. Uh, the the I know the Boston bombers there. Maybe they maybe they talk to each other. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the Boston bomber was uh let's just say a little bit more successful when uh what he wanted to accomplish yeah also, whereas ted just like he just killed a bunch of nerds yeah. like he didn't even like kill like any industrialists he just like oh they no, just he killed blew, a bunch he, of yeah, scientists he, yeah okay. dumbass but yeah uh well all the edgelords of reddit <laughs> will, will miss him dearly and uh many libertarians yeah fucking the lord giveth and uh lord take away fucking pat robertson died as well oh a day beforehand i was and that's like oh yeah that god's a... just fucking with us at that point on pride month are you kidding me that's if that's a sign that's not a sign from god <laughs> i don't know what the fuck isn't but have you actually read about how much of a piece of shit he really was like aside from being a homophobe my favorite was his wife got alzheimer's his wife of like 50 years got alzheimer's so he immediately divorced her like a fucking that asshole. A, that seems to be a trend with a lot of uh, like right wing pundits. Like Ross Lombard did that as well. When his uh, not his wife, because he's never been married, which is very funny. But like had a girlfriend, and immediately when she got sick, it's like well, bye. It's uh yeah, but uh, I'll say this: uh, God, yeah, God truly is. Uh, if God is real, he did not like Pat Robinson. I'll tell you that right now, because he was a bad man, bad fucking man, and. You know, unfortunately, that's the world we live in. And um, speaking of bad men doing stupid shit, um, Donald Trump got indicted again. This kind of came out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> and it is, it is, I'm going to post the indictment in our show notes because it's 49 pages long, but it's, there's some details in there that are just goddamn insane. Um so, for those who don't know, he was indicted this time for those documents that he stole from the White House and didn't give back. Um, and there's a bunch of pictures circulating online where it looks like an episode of Hoarders, where you have bathrooms and ballrooms just full of boxes of shit that he just kept for no real fucking reason, other than, again, hoarder shit. I just wanted to keep this. Yeah, he uh, ran out of space in his uh, secret document room. So he had to put a bunch of documents in a... Uh... One of his many bathrooms. There's like a picture of fucking like a bunch of secret documents lining fucking like covering up a shower. It's like something out of a fucking like Twin Peaks. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite things is um, 
he's going on like a grand tour now and he's talking about how uh you know the accursed biden deep state was to bring him down as if like boarding documents that you're not supposed to is no, like I... one of the dumbest things you could possibly do other presidents when they do like crimes it's usually underhanded shit like uh, watergate or iran contra and trump's just like he just has a massive swag bag of stolen documents that he just keeps around for some reason I think I think also the the issue with it is is the fact that these were like these weren't regular documents or like just boilerplate. These were like five eyes organization documents, like shit that no one he showed these to had any clearance. In the indictment, there's like some guest came over and he was like, "Hey, here's a here's a military map of North Korea. You're not supposed to see, but look at this shit." Like he was just showing this shit to show guests, like for clout almost. And that, that's just nuts to me. It's like, how do I impress Kid Rock? I know. Here's uh, evidence that we've been autopsying yeah, was, aliens in fucking Area 51. Yeah, that was uh, Kid Rock that he showed the uh, North Korean map to. Just, like, brought him down to his cell mansion to show him a bunch of battle plans. Because he thinks, like, that would make him look cool. And, yeah, again, like, Trump is, uh, he's not, like, fucking James Bond like, selling fucking secrets to the Chinese, like everyone thought he was. He's just a clout shark. He just thinks that, like, showing people nuclear launch codes will make him look cool. Again, this dumb guy shit. I, I think it's And all... again, is that really illegal? Come on, folks. I mean, it's stupid. I mean, it's... It, I'll say this. I don't know if Kid Rock will uh, take that North Korean document, for, although I would love to see... Kid Rock lead a charge, a uh, military invasion against North Korea. Like, he comes out like General fucking Patton or something like that. That would be fun. I would <laughs> think that would be very fucking entertaining. But other than that, I mean, I don't think he'll go to prison for this. I think this is... Because they let former presidents get away with a lot of bullshit. So I really doubt he'll go to prison. He'll serve any real jail time. But this is... This might be one of the dumbest crimes I think a president's ever been indicted for. More so than when Bill Clinton had his secretary blow him under his desk. Yeah, Trump really should just pull a Reagan. I'm down for that. Like, to have some brain disease. <laughs> yeah, does he even need to do that? Because, I mean, he's kind of shown he's... There's something wrong with him, at least, a little bit. It's like, ooh, this is, uh... Like, he comes out and fucking gives these insane speeches. I'm like, he might have a brain worm. You don't know. He doesn't have to fake it. I think we're already like, yeah, he's fucked up. Yeah, well, that's the uh, that's one of the many rumors about him that he has syphilis. Oh. Like, <laughs> Trump is very open about his many like sexual conquests. He shows classic signs of not only Alzheimer's, which is very funny because like MAGA retards will dab on Biden for that, and Trump just clearly shows the same symptoms. But it's also clear he has like his brain is just riddled with STDs. <laughs> Like, all those fucking kids he was destroying with Epstein is coming back to haunt him. Yeah. You ever seen Capone, the Josh Trank, uh, Tom Hardy movie? Yeah, but he's uh, he's in a fat suit fishing and he's swimming pool. It's very funny. Yeah, that, that I wanted... I imagine that's what Trump is like now. He just wanders around Mar-a-Lago shitting himself, <laughs> wearing a diaper, just fucking hallucinating evil Louis Armstrong and shit. Because, <laughs> I mean... It, like, I'll say this, though, also. If, if you're an international spy, the the way of, like, getting these pictures for these documents is, is it's gotta be the fucking easiest job you've ever done. It's you go into the shitter, you take your cell phone, you snap some pics and to get out, you know, they might check your phone, but just, just kiss Donald Trump's ass and you'll walk right the fuck out with nuclear codes that you could give back to your bosses. Like it's, it's, it's shocking just how brazen and stupid this whole setup was. It really is. You could just pretend you're James Bond, like go out and say, yeah, the name is Bond, James Bond. Uh, can you take me around a tour of your house, Mr. President? And she'll be like, oh my god, it's James Bond. It's, it's, it's 007. He wants, to, he wants to see my documents. And then just, yeah, that's how you, that's how you get the sweet launch codes. It's, it's seriously, that seems like all you have to fucking do. Like, this is such a bad fucking setup. I look forward to seeing what this leads to. I don't, again, I don't think he'll be going to prison for this at all. I don't, I don't, I don't think he'll go to jail because, again, we've talked about this before. If we send him to jail, we'll have to send, like, every other loving president to jail. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty embarrassing to, like, go down for something as stupid as that. I'm, imagine if you've been kissing Donald Trump's ass for fucking 
six years and you hear this, you're like, oh God, what have we done? The buyer's remorse has got to be rough for some of these guys. I know uh, there's some guys on Fox News here been like, guys, this is really bad. Maybe we should uh, we should pivot. Let's de-escalate a little bit here. Yeah, there is uh, like a weird contingent of uh, ex-Jump guys that have gone over to DeSantis. Like uh, 2019 was a real fucking black pill moment for them. It's like our uh, our base gods ate shit to some like to some old fart who shits himself. Uh, let's let's find someone else. Let's find Ron DeSantis. He'll uh, he'll build that wall for us, right? I don't see that even getting because even they're not particularly that into him. It seems like they're very um, they're very mixed on him. Even like I think the only like but like who else do you have? Nikki Haley. I mean, come the fuck on, guys. I think the problem is they got weighed into the idea of having yeah. a, a god king figure. Like, they seem to think we need that one guy to rally around. We're, that's really just a bad idea in general. Like, yeah, like, unless you have some sort of, uh, some sort of dynasty set up where you could essentially, like, pilot swap uh, the dictator with one of his kids, then, uh, yeah, things don't go well when uh, when the base god dies. It'd be funny if uh, when Trump finally dies from, like, a fucking Diet Coke overdose... And the uh, DJTG tries to become like video maga king. That'll be uh, that'll be fun. Oh fuck, that'd be a fucking one. That'd be a hilarious presidential run. I would be I would be there day one and watch it from beginning to end like a horrible <laughs> car accident. Holy shit! Ugh. Yeah, you know DJTG is the real like loser of the family because he's the only one who's like into politics in the way that the other Trump kids just aren't. No, it's um. I think it, again, it, it's. You know, Ivanka's pretty much just hidden away. I don't know where the fuck Eric is. He could be on Mars at this point. Because he just fell off the face of the Earth really quickly the last couple of years. And I don't even know where the fuck Baron is at this point. He's on Trump Tower just playing Minecraft. I, I like, like So he just wants to, like, sit and play games. And his idiot dad keeps dragging him on fucking presidential tours. I love to I love to imagine that you know that episode of the Venture Brothers where they find out they have like hundreds of clones of all the kids because they keep dying because of stupid shit. I like to believe there's just a lab at Mar-a-Lago <laughs> Baron yeah. Trump fucking clones like he's been dead like six times during the administration because it just seems to be like he goes away for a couple months. It's like oh he he's a lot bigger now so I think the clone lab fucked that one up. Uh. Yeah, and he seems to get bigger like every time. Like, he's just, like, the last photo I saw him in, he's, like, he's almost as big as his dad. Like, fucking seven foot. It's like, what the fuck is going on here? Are you, like, are you just, like, breeding him in a lab? Just, like, perfecting him every time? <laughs> the what boy, the fuck is yeah, going on here? He's Gregory Peck from Boys Over Brazil. He's just perfecting this shit. Like, it's just fucking ridiculous. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, this is, this is another edition of Donald Trump is a complete fucking idiot. Uh, this is always my favorite segment of the show. Enough talk of dumbasses and, and domestic terrorists. Let's get on to our meat of today. Uh, it's Pride Month, and we decided this this month we would be celebrating Pride Month with a selection of uh, two uh, queer centric films. Uh, they're 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 a little. They're not particularly. Um, the thing is uh, with you and I. I know a lot of queer cinema tends to like a lot of people like to gravitate towards like happier stuff whereas i think you and i are a little more and we're more of a cynical type so we're covering i think i think this is the greatest queer movie of all time but it's also like the most depressing film you'll ever watch um happy together long car wise um ni uh, 1997 film about the worst fucking romance that has ever been put on screen uh and not because they're gay but because um it's a very clearly abusive relationship and it's deeply upsetting to watch. Yeah, uh, I was 16 when I first watched this. Jesus I was Christ. Like, uh, I, don't know, I was a little closeted teeny bopper, and I just Googled, like, like top 10 gay films. And, like, Happy Together came a second. I was like, oh, this, uh, this looks interesting. 
then I watched it and I was like, oh, if this is what being gay is like, then I might as well just be a false self forever. Jesus oh, Christ. Yeah, this movie at 16 has got to be fucking traumatizing. Holy shit. And uh, it doesn't help if you've ever, like we, you and I have talked about, you know, we've both been in relationships and this movie doesn't mirror a couple that I've been in and I know you've been in. It opens fucking wounds. I've said this, if you're in a relationship with someone, do not watch this with them because it's going to end in, in, in a breakup, I feel like. <laughs> this movie opens wounds, man. It's fucked up. Yeah, this is, uh, this is probably the most realistic depiction of not just a gay relationship, but a like any relationship the fucking highs are high and the lows are fucking low man jesus christ yeah but uh, i want to get so we'll get into the the film itself um the film was uh, written produced directed by uh wong kar wai who's kind of an interesting he's uh, one of these guys that like you know you think about hong kong directors you know you think you're john you're john woos you're tarsu harks he was much more of an art house kind of guy he, even though he came from very similar uh, places he worked with a lot of the same actors that a lot of these guys worked with but he took a completely different approach to to certain uh, elements of that where if you've ever seen his movie as tears go by which is a very um it's a it's very much cut from the same cloth as a like a john woo type movie it's about a gangster that falls in love with um another gangster's cousin and you know you think like oh there'd be a lot of action because you know, it's part of that that film but it, it is a very different movie it's a very quiet if you've ever seen a few on car white films it's very hard to describe his style very like in description but you know you watch his films this film in particular uh, happy together is just very very much loaded with that there is a lot of weird uh, frame rate changes lighting choices like it's a very deliberate very very bizarre approach to filmmaking i really can't think of anyone else who shoots movies like this god was egged by one car zagged like while yeah. John Woo was doing stuff like Hard Boiled, uh, Carway was doing like In the Mood for Love. Carway's uh, overall filmography is interesting. Most of his like romance movies are very uh, like heteronormative. It's like Tony Long falls in love with some random woman he meets out in the streets. Yeah. And uh, like 90% of the time that goes very badly. Whereas here, this is, this is a gay relationship which. Uh, I haven't like done that much research on this movie, um, so I don't really know like why he particularly went in this direction. I think it had to do with uh, he was friends with Leslie Chung. He had done a couple films with him, and Leslie Chung is very interesting. Um, he has become something of a queer icon in, in particularly uh, China and Hong Kong because he was a he was a bisexual man during the very conservative era of um, Hong Kong cinema. It's still pretty conservative now, but he got treated like fucking dog shit. I mean, he, I told you about a film he did called uh, All's Well, Ends Well. It is a romance comedy where it basically it ends with them shocking the gay out of him. And they, they do a lot of jokes where because he's gay, he's going to act like a woman. Isn't that funny? It's, it's such a fucking demoralizing movie to watch. You're like, just the amount of fucking homophobic jokes they were probably throwing at him on set had to have been, like, it must have been soul-crushing for him to work on that movie. That seems to be a very weird trend in a 90s cinema. Well, you've got Chasing Amy, like Kevin yeah, Smith's we... film where uh, Ben Affleck fucks the lesbian out of somebody. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's the mirror. I think, that, yeah. I, I think it's also just... The 90s were uh, not a good time for us. It wasn't until 1993 where um, people actually started to treat him with a semblance of respect. When he did a movie called Farewell My Concubine, which is a... It might be more fucking depressing than this movie is. It's three hours long. And it's about, um, for those who don't know, this is a very cultural thing in a lot of uh, Asian cultures where um, men actors in opera are trained to play female roles. And throughout the film, uh, Leslie's character starts to get weird gender identity problems because he's basically slapped around and said, no, you're going to play a woman. You're going to do it right. God damn it. And it's, it's, it's sad. It's a really fucking sad movie. It's even sadder knowing like he was treated like absolute shit for most of his career and would unfortunately lead to happen together would end up being like his last high profile work he did movies after but like he he would end up committing suicide right after that around after that and uh just leaving a fucking depressing suicide note as well like it's just a short like i'm depressed i'm done yeah man playing woman is a very like old-timey fear thing going back to like the middle ages 
and fucking women wouldn't be allowed on stage for some reasons. In old Shakespeare plays, like every role would be played by like a like a forty year old man. And uh, I do watch Mishima uh, recently, and that fucking scene where uh, young Mishima is like staring at the uh, at the dude playing a geisha is the. Uh, it's very interesting. Oh man, there's so many layers to that one scene. The one that always gets me is uh, we had, we were talking about before we started taping. Um, M Butterfly, the David Cronenberg movie, which kind of brings this to a a real insane kind of like it's weird because that movie in particular is when you see it's David Cronenberg, you're like, why would he make a movie like this? And then you watch it, and it's very much Cronenberg as the way. And when John Lone shows himself naked and um, and Jeremy Irons just looks disgust. It's like it has nothing to do with you being a man. It's that the fantasy has been ruined because you showed me what you really are. Like it's a, there's it's a very Cronenberg movie, despite it's not Cronenberg type uh, story. I like to think Jeremy Irons is just playing himself in that. Uh, oh hell yeah! Like if you watch that fucking uh, that insane interview he gave. It creates like gay marriage to dog fucking yeah. is uh, very funny. The ending of that movie too is wild, where uh, he goes into full geisha makeup, does a whole spiel in front of the prison, and then just kills himself on stage. It's it's a it's a wild movie. If you've never seen uh, M Butterfly, it's absolutely worth checking out. It's it's dark as shit and it's awesome. Yeah, it's I- in that uh, it's in that sweet nighty spot of Cronenberg, uh, where it's like transitioning from a. Uh, 80s body horrors like crime movies like that sweet spot of the 90s with like dead flingers and uh m butterfly yeah it's a very interesting thing very good shit but um think about happy together the the so the, the thing that's so interesting about Wong Kar Wai his approach to um his approach to filmmaking is very I would call it unorthodox um it if you've ever read how Terrence Malick makes movies it's very similar and that there is a lot of stream of consciousness to the actual production where this was shot over, this took six months to, to shoot this movie, which seems like a lot for a movie that's ostensibly just a movie with like two actors in a, in an apartment building fighting. He would come in and be like, yeah, so you know those five pages of the script we were going to do today? We're not doing that anymore. We're going to do something completely different now. The entire um, end point with the restaurant, that whole part where it's at the end where he's at the phone, that entirely was just, they just were at a restaurant area. They're like, we're just going to shoot this here now. Like, he literally just came up with a completely different ending to what was actually supposed to be. Yeah, because uh, re-watching this since, like, 2012 is, like, the first time I saw this, I had forgotten, like, that's how it ends. I completely found the restaurant scene, and it does feel tacked on. Really, it should have ended when um, Leslie Chong is trying to vote Tony Long. And he just doesn't answer. It's like the first time he doesn't answer one of his phone calls and he just breaks down crying. That's how I would have ended it at least. Yeah, but, the, uh, yeah his approach... Nah, is, but a fucking dour ending. Yeah, but I think it's it's still a dour ending, but it, again, it adds to his... Um, again, it's um, In the Mood for Love was like this as well, where um, they would literally just change the script on the fly. And My favorite piece that I've read during the production was um, uh, Wong Kar Wai gave Tony Long a fake script. Because he was uncomfortable with doing a gay sex scene at the time. Because this is a pretty hard movie to say yes to in like 97 Hong Kong. Particularly if you're a, you know, you've done movies with John Woo. You're a pretty big name. So, and you know, it's also 97 was the year of the handover. So there was a lot of big swings at the time with some filmmakers thinking like, we're not going to be working after this. Like my favorite is... uh, Ringo Lamb's Full Alert. It's like an anti-cop movie where rather than the cops like trying to solve a crime, they're just sitting in a bar drinking, contemplating suicide about all the horrible shit they've done. Yeah, you've got the uh, the scene in this where it's, uh, it's the reporter talking about Deng Xiaoping dying in 93. They don't go to Hong Kong. Like, they go to... Um, Argentina. To Taiping. Oh, Taiping. And uh, that weird transitionary period when it's, uh, like, going from a British colony back to... Uh, to a Chinese like settlement is yeah. uh, like a weird like specter hanging over this movie. Yeah, and you can argue there is that that kind of plays into that whole like the the horror of what the handover might end up being. Kind of plays into like how the relationship is done. It's just this complete like 
apocalyptic just descend into fucking madness. Like, that's really how I would describe this relationship. It's so hard to watch. Like, like, And that's the thing about Leslie Chun's performance in this movie is that like Leslie Chun is this deeply sad, as an actor, as a person, he's a deeply sad, deeply interesting guy. And in this movie, he is playing one of the most vile pieces of human garbage that thing's ever been put on film. He is abusive physically emotionally it is it's hard to watch sometimes like the shit he says to tony logan this movie he's uh he's playing like the uh like the sassy bomb who can't fucking you can't stop fucking around that's what's so interesting about this relationship is it would have been very easy to have this be like a purely one-sided argument but tony logan isn't less sent either no it's like very obvious anger problems yeah that scene where he um you don't see it but he goes into the bar and beats up some guy for uh, for attacking Trump. I think it's I think it's also the, the the reason I love that is it adds to like even though he's abusive, he does love him. Like deep down, I I know I can fix him. I know I can make this work. And just every every time he thinks that's why he just gives up at the end. He's like, I, I can't do it. I can't fix this. And throughout the whole film, he's trying so hard. He's defending him. He's doing all this. It just it's that realization you have when you're with someone. You're like. This isn't this isn't gonna work no matter what I do, you know. It's unstoppable force meets immovable object kind of thing where it's just goddamn. Yeah, there was uh, yeah, there's very uh, queer love between both of them. Like Chong is fucking at him constantly, but he is very queerly enamored with uh, with Long. Like he fucking breaks down crying when he doesn't answer his phone because he realizes like that's it. He's just it's over. He's definitely yeah. gonna be alone forever and it's all his fault. That's what makes the um the little final sting interesting when um Long goes to uh, it's like his family's restaurant in Taiping and he takes the uh, he steals the photo and he's looking at it on the train. The movie just ends and it's like you don't know what's gonna happen. Like maybe they get back together, maybe not. Like Carvey looks at very uh, yeah. ambiguous, which is interesting. That's something like, he's been. In most of his other movies, it's very queer cut. What happens at the end? Yeah, I, I'm another example of that was like, um, like in the mood for love, where it ends with him going to a Buddhist temple and lighting some candles and lamenting what could have been. And you know, apparently the original ending was uh, for that movie. Just to go off topic, Tony Long was supposed to commit suicide uh, for In the Mood for Love, and Wong decided not to do that. I think it was, and I think that's a good call because it like it adds a lot more. It's much more sadder if he lives yeah. at the end than than if he just dies. Korean's very good at uh, tragic endings, like yeah, uh, the scene where fucking long is at the uh, the waterfall. He's been dreaming about for the entire movie, and he's just like he's smiling. It's like the first time he's actually happy throughout the entire movie. Yeah, and he's just like. What the fuck am I going to do now? I'm basically alone. My favorite- That's another theme in this movie is it's like everyone's just alone constantly. That scene where he goes to the um, he's at his work in the uh, the restaurant and he's talking to uh, was it Cheng, potential love interest? Cheng is like ch- chatting him up like, oh, you want to get a drink after this? And Long knows like, could I do this? Couldn't I like? Yeah, Could I still make this work with, with Chung? Yeah. And that, that's uh, what I love yeah, about this movie is the amount of, like, and that's the thing I love about Wong Kar He's such a visual filmmaker. There's so many things that are said without being said. Because there's very little actual, like, like, like important dialogue in this movie. Like it's, it's almost like you could watch this without subtitles and still understand the basis of it. Cause like the scene that always gets me is the scene where they're having the dance in the bathroom. And there's just so many, like the music and the way they're moving is so it's so composed and like you get everything you need to know from this. Like there's clearly they're happy, but there is a clear weird friction going on here. That's, that's noticeable. I can't remember if it was like a play. Like there's uh, there's only three actors in this. And like yeah, maybe like three or four locations, and it's very set bound. As you said, there's no like there's no info dumps. The uh, dialogue feels very natural. I do miss that. Like you watch like any fucking like romance movie. Like I tried watching Bros recently. Oh for the hell God. Of it, to see like oh. like I knew it'd be bad, but I wanted to see like how bad it would be. 
and just the dialogue in that is just fucking it's just oh god I, I, it's so fucking cram it's I like do. red wrote the scripts oh jesus but i think the reason the dialogue's so natural is one car white likes to let his actors improvise that's a theme that's been throughout a lot of his um because again he'll literally you'll you'll get to the set one day like oh we're just changing the script now so this is what the scene we're going to do so there is a lot of freedom to really improvise do some other things that you know you otherwise wouldn't get to do that's why people like working working with him that's why uh, tony long had such a good working career with them because there's really no one else who does movies other than terrence malick there's really no one else who makes movies this loosely and this very un like it's weird because as loose as the production of this movie was it still feels very much like like it's it's controlled and composed like I had read the, the original cut of this was three hours long. There were entire subplots and characters that were just cut. Like he just yes. went in the editing room and was like, yeah, I'm just going to cut this guy, cut this. Like it is like Terrence Malick shit. Like you'll go to set, you'll do the scene and then you'll go to the premiere, find out, oh, I'm not even in the movie anymore. Wong just said, fuck this and just cut my whole scene. I can't really imagine this movie having any other subplots or like any other characters. The yeah. reason why this works so well is it's just those two characters bouncing off each other. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is when um, Chung's going to the cruising bathroom oh. and Wong is just like hanging around and it's like, yeah, very, uh, very grim. Oh, the whole, he yeah. sees him going into the bathroom stall with that guy and he's like, oh, God, that yeah, killed me. That just, oh. and you just, they just cut to Long and he's just a look. He has this look of just just defeat in his eye. That's one of the things I love about Tony Long. It is kind of a meme at this point, but he is like, how much of his acting he can do with just looking at somebody. This has always been something I, he's one of my favorite actors because um, he has this amazing ability. Like he's kind of like the Daniel Day-Lewis of Hong Kong. It's fucked up though, because like the only American film he's ever done is Marvel shit, which is kind of hilarious. It's like, you know, I, I worked yeah. with Wong Kar Wai. I'm like, I've worked on, you know, I've worked with Ang Lee, John Woo, all these guys. I'm going to go work with fucking Marvel. Like, Jesus. And if you've ever actually seen that movie, he's... Oh, like, he didn't waste it. Oh, you know, he's like, the best in it, but... They, he didn't have to go that hard in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, but he's a, you know, he's a serious, like, he's a serious actor. That's kind of the reason that I, that I think he has the respect that he does. Because, like, when he's not making movies, he's, like, gardening. You know, he's not doing anything yeah. particularly excessive. He just hangs out like Daniel Day-Lewis does. Like, yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis just makes shoes in Italy now. It's like, yeah, fuck yeah. it. You ever see Lust like, Caution? It's a film uh, that he was in. I where Yeah, it's an Ang Lee movie. Um, it had, it's very famous for being released with a full NC-17 rating. It's, um, it's pretty wild. Uh, he plays a really, like, he plays like a sexual sadist in that movie. It's about a woman who's, uh, she's a spy trying to get this uh, guy to, um, give them information and she has to go through these really brutal fucking like bordering on rape scenes it's it's wild and um again just the way he performs mm -hmm. that character he's so good like is he know he's even though he has this reputation as like a, a weird like you know particular with one car he is he is a very versatile actor like even something like bullet in the head where he just has this amazing scene where he tells like a politician to go fuck himself it's just icy as fuck, and then he's shooting people. Like, he, yeah, he's such a he's such an amazing actor. Oh, and him and Leslie are just have such a such a potent chemistry in this movie, and it's like anti chemistry because it's like these two need to be separated because this is gonna end bad. This is gonna end with one of them killing the other. Even the uh, the sex scene at the start is a uh, very awkward to watch. Oh. And I've seen like dozens of like like not only sex scenes but like gay sex scenes in movies. And this is like one of the most dour fucking depictions of. Uh, you know, that's what I, th I had said that uh, he had given, he gave, T Wong gave Tony a fake script and didn't tell him he was going to have to do that. So that clearly like played, that's probably why that scene is as awkward as it is. Because it's like, other than Leslie and Wong, no one knew mm. that he was going to have to do that. And again, it's not portrayed as like gay sex is gross. It is like there is no real love in this relationship. Like there is, but it's it's not reciprocated in a very healthy way. It's literally shot in black and white. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh. The other scene um, that I think about the time is uh, is after he uh, he notices Chung going to the uh, the cruising bathroom. He goes to uh, like a taxi driver style uh, sex cinema. 
and oh, just yeah. gets a blowjob from some like some some like white tourist. And yeah, it's, it's, like even that is shot as like he's clearly not enjoying himself. No, like, just, it's uh, that scene is and again black and white. And there's a lot of like that's another thing Wong likes to use different fra- uh, film stocks. And there's a lot of shots in this movie where the frame rate completely just. It's not even slow motion. It's 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 hard to describe unless you've actually seen it. He does it with all of his movies, where the way that the camera just is all handheld and it it is everything is just choppy as hell for no reason. Like Chunky and Express is kind of notorious for this as well. Like that almost that whole movie shot like that. Yeah, the fucking uh, the scene at the start where they're uh, they're taking like a road trip, and it's just like it's just like bouncing around all over the place. And then it cuts to him jumping up at the waterfall, and it's just a static shot of a waterfall for like what feels like five minutes when it's only just a minute. Yeah, just, just uh, goes on forever. Like uh, he's constantly thinking about this fucking waterfall. That's when he's really happy. Yeah, I, my my favorite thing. So uh, Chris Doyle's the cinematographer. He shot for almost all of uh, Wong Kar Wai's films, and I, I, he's kind of an interesting character as well. He. Um, he notoriously and is self-admitted has a very bad problem with drinking. If you've ever seen interviews with him, he's either drunk or going through withdrawal. It's it's insane. Like he did a, he went up and did like a acceptance speech at an award show, and it is like the most awkward, cringe-worthy thing you'll ever see. I'm sorry they gave me some script, but I don't give a shit. Bonsoir. So they don't cure you, man. Jiten. Niha. That's Chinese for how are you? And tonight, it's be Believe it or not, I'm a cinematographer. Believe it or not, some of them are not like me. That's where they make films that influence what we see. You fucking wonderful whore, come up and take a prize. Because he clearly had a few shots before he went upstage. I do like when uh, people get fucked up when they're accepting a movie awards uh, <laughs> yeah it does because like awards shows are usually like so very fake and uh and vapid occasionally we'll just get a drunk guy who gets up and bears his fucking soul and the audience is like uh uh please uh this is not what you're here for. I, I f- uh, and it doesn't help that uh, over the later in his career, he would actively pick, like when he didn't work with Wong anymore, he would actively pick movies where he didn't have to work on like rigorous shoots. Cause I think a lot of the experiences he had with Wong fucked him up because it's like, I was going to be here for three months. Now I'm here for six. So I'm just going to hit the sauce. Like, I've heard stories that he'd get so drunk that he'd have to leave set and just they'd have to get someone else. Like, because if you listen, if you look at later Wong Kar Wai films, they have like three credited cinematographers because like, again, there was just so much like either Doyle would have to leave because he couldn't take it anymore. And then someone else would come in for like a while and just say, fuck this. Like, it, it's wild. The productions of his movies, just reading how fucking just unorthodox this was. Come is uh Later films like Grandmaster, like very different from his earlier. Oh movies. yeah, like noticeably uh, different. Yeah, that movie. And, uh, that's probably why. Yeah, Grandmaster is such a weird. That's a weird movie. It feels like his attempt. It's like he got handed an exploitation because it's like as it's about Ip Man and all that. <laughs> no, that's what it is. But it's a beautifully shot movie, though. Particularly the um, there's so many that fight scene in the rain is like just oh my god, it's so fucking cool. But, uh, and he sort of, like, after 2046, he never really, like, he kind of semi-retired. He did My Blueberry Nights, which was his first American film, and did not enjoy working on it. And then he took, like, he, he took almost, he took, like, five, six years off, did Grandmaster, and he's not done anything since. That seems to be a, a trend for a lot of uh, Hong Kong to Hollywood uh, directors. John Wu seems to be, like, the only guy who actually had to, somewhat decent time in Hollywood. Yeah. And even then that didn't really last that long. It was in Hollywood. I think it was also with the between particularly after Grandmaster, he had a lot of fights with the Weinsteins. Like they cut thirty minutes. So the actual <laughs> Chinese cut is two hours and ten minutes. And the Weinstein cut's only like an hour forty. It is they butchered the fuck out of it. Yeah. And I think that really like soured him. And between, like, a lot of the Hong Kong guys having to go to the mainland to make movies now, 
I just don't think he's interested in like compromising his vision for that. So he's like, "Fuck it." He's been talking yeah. about like doing a TV series, but nothing's ever come of that. Yeah, that's uh, that's just very modern trend with uh, with a lot of directors now, like Scorsese's starting to dabble with TV. Uh, Tarantino is uh, talking about doing a TV show in the not too distant future. It really does feel like not the end of cinema, but we're hitting this like brick wall. And yeah. uh, someone really needs to come along and like do something. About I still, that. I still think to this day, um, I wish his he made House of Gucci because a lot of people don't realize he was one of the first people that was tapped to do that. And um, like, man, that would have been awesome had fucking Wong Kar Wai gotten the opportunity to make that movie. He would have made it. It would have been a completely different movie, but it would have been at least more interesting than what Ridley Scott threw together. Yeah, fucking. Uh, I don't mind House. So Gucci, like it's not a great movie, but it's not boring. Oh, it's not boring but, at uh, all. But it's every time it's like, like what one cowboy originally wanted, it would be like vastly better. Yeah, I'm not sure what it would have been. It, I don't know if like, but it would have been more interesting. But yeah, it's it's unfortunate that we live in yeah we live in a time where uh, filmmakers can't even get like you're Martin Scorsese and you got to go to Apple TV to get a budget. Like Jesus Christ, that's just that's just sad. It's getting really fucking grim. Like, yeah, uh, it seems like Nolan is the only guy who can like get away with conning fucking like a stupid amount of money from a studio to make his uh, his vanity Oppenheimer project of practical nuclear explosions. <laughs> uh, going back to um, going back to Happy Together, it's just so one of the things that I've always really appreciated about this this film. It's like it's so ahead of its time compared to where queer cinema is now we talked about bros you brought that up and just how like it's so clearly manufactured like it's no better or worse than like whatever fucking garbage romantic comedy comes out now whereas like you look at this you're like this is like i don't know it's just it feels like we're going backwards the further uh gay cinema becomes more accepted by the mainstream the 90s was uh not the best time to be gay but that was like the highlight of gay cinema. Yeah, stuff like uh, Bounds. Uh, I love Greg Araki's stuff, like Mysterious Skin. Like really, like fucked up, but interesting movies. Whereas now, like, like they're just indistinguishable from fucking like John Abbottel movies. Just like dumb fucking quiffy movies with nothing that interesting in them. Thing about like Greg Araki was like that's underground so that you could get away with a lot more shit be a lot more experimental and you know you just can't do that when universal's giving you a budget like you could never make happy together in a fucking studio system fuck that they'd have to if they, if you did they'd have to give a happy ending where tony Lung gets away and leslie Ch well i mean you know tony Lung's happy and leslie chung's sad somewhere you know where that's not what this movie's about this is about how yeah. Toxic relationships just destroy everyone in them, not just people who are abused, but the abusers yeah, themselves. That is, uh, it's one of the consequences of uh, gays finally being accepted in the mainstream, is that overculture is just is dog shit now. Nobody really seems to have anything that interesting to say. Just like everyone else now, we're just boring. We're just like boring <laughs> straight people. And rainbow capitalism thrives every year. On Pride Month, which, uh, you know, Bud Light will put yeah. gay, gay cans out. But that doesn't... Yeah. Yeah. So, like, every time I walk into a Starbucks, I just do the exact thing of, like, I see a fucking rainbow cup, and it's like, hmm, the pure ideology. It's not enough. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, to, uh, to wrap this up, um, Happy Together is, uh, again, it's, like, one of my black pill movies. I've been in a few relationships that I just like this. We really just, like, shouldn't be doing this. Just calling it quits is so fucking hard because like there's love there and it's yeah. just like yeah. It's, and there's also yeah. like you you fear that uh, this... man so fucking complicated. Yeah, but, I mean, uh... this is not exactly a, a. Hopefully, our next next episode for Pride Month will be a little more fun than this. Um, but this is a very hard movie to make jokes about or to have any real. But it is something I think is very important. I do think this is the greatest like gay movie of all time. Like I, I mean that because so much more than just a gay film. It feels like something that it, it again, it's so ahead of its time. Wong Kar Wai. And the weird part is Wong Kar Wai is not a gay man. He is, but he's a person who understands more than anyone. Just people being fucking miserable. 
and uh, he brings that in. And you know, one thing I want to bring up uh, real quick: um, the, at the premiere of this film, it was openly heckled. People walked out. They made cat calls. It took a long time for this movie to actually get the reputation it does because it was like that's one of the reasons they filmed in Argentina because one car why thought. I'm never going home after this. I'm going to be laughed out of the fucking industry if I make this film. Yeah, people tend to forget how like, fucked up Hong Kong was under the British. Again, I guess that we're fucking, like, paradise under communist China, but, like, there's been a lot of whitewashing about that time in Hong Kong's history, and it's just like, yeah, fucking, like, you have to actually go to another country to make a film like this. Yeah. Like, you just could not do it then. And again, I think it was, but again, it adds to that whole, like, this 97 was the year of, uh, this is the time to take your big swing, because we may not be here next year. But, uh, yeah, all this is such a fucking, it's such a hard movie to watch. It's even harder to really, like, digest. And that's kind of what I love about Wong Kar Wai is that he's such a great, he's an artist more than a filmmaker. Like, he, he treats his movies more like paintings than he does actual like works of camera work and editing that's why he's so that's why this movie is so special and that's why he is so special as a director and i um you know i would love to see him make another film but i think he's done everything he could do so if he wants to retire and live happily being miserable then that's up with that's up to him but i wouldn't say a movie that i would ever watch i would never watch this again uh like because this is not the kind of movie you'd be like god i'm in the mood to watch happy together no you know, it's like Schindler's List. It's like, <laughs> no one sits down to watch this for fun. You watch this because you want to contemplate suicide by the end of the evening. Yeah, it's like one of the more, just, like, dour movies I've ever seen. And I've seen, like, from, like, Come and See, and there's a lot of, like, grim shit, but Happy Together, even though it's not a horror movie, it does, like... It's just like so realistic. It's like a slab across the face. Like, yeah. uh, like, like Leslie is, Chung is slapping really us. Is what life is like. Yeah. Like Leslie Chung is slapping us across the yeah. face. RIP of us to Leslie Chung. Uh, your legacy lives on. And um, have a good Pride Month, everyone. And uh, stay safe and have a, have, a good, have a good day. And everybody knows that right now I'm, I'm doing like a semi-retired job. I mean, I don't, I don't really care much about you know what people will count on me or think about me I'm just doing the thing that I really want to do I, I like to do and then um, I'm not giving any TV shows or whatsoever in Hong Kong it's a cruel world and uh, I mean I'm aging everybody knows but uh, still of course I'm, I'm, I'm quite you know young look and young at heart but you know maybe people think that oh he's getting too old uh, to become an idol but which in fact i don't want to be an idol anymore i mean for the past five or ten years i mean i've 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 gone through that kind of stage i don't want to make a fuss out of it and then maybe some days later i want to be a director this is one of my 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 wish and i hope my wish can come true